Now and Again is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage, Keanu, and more, head on over to cageclub.me. That is cageclub.me. Hi, we're back. Side B. Nico's still here. Yes, I am. I have gone nowhere. I have not moved since you last heard my voice. But you definitely wouldn't want to go anywhere because... In the green room, we talked about how hyped you were for this song. So we're going to roll right into Destiny's Child with Emotion. Destiny's Child came along and put this un fucking believable arrangement together i yeah i mean this isn't just a particularly good song this is a particularly good song arranged well and performed well this is an example of powerhouses meeting this really was like a highlight on the radio and um i think it's worth noting that like this is the first destiny's child um ballad on a now and I think in, in hindsight, when people think Destiny's Child, they don't think the ballads. And this is a great example of why that's a shame, because this yeah. is fantastic. And like I said, this is their first ballad that we've seen come up. People might not have expected this at the time, might not expect this from them going back to them. And it's important to hunt this down, because this song is fantastic. You know, even more than just that, you know, when I, I think I last appeared on Now 5, and one of the things we talked about it was Jumpin' Jumpin', and we said that that song was about how about no we we we're at the club this is our time yeah you know like we're in charge this is not I'm looking for a man to take care of me this was the first real sign of vulnerability from Destiny's Child in quite some time I mean they went out of their way to be independent women and to pay their own bills and um, to be survivors and not give up. And they needed a soldier. And, mm-hmm. you know, they don't just need a man. Nah, they need, like, the pinnacle of manhood to be with them. And this is a really tender moment from women who otherwise chose not to show that side. Yeah. It's just a testament to their depth and their range. Because to, to think that these are the same women who, with authority and ferocity performed those other songs you know what i mean she's queen bay we just keep saying it there's a reason yeah the way i felt gone was a testament to justin's talent this is a testament to this this trio yeah uh completely with you and it's got a really good video too i like how it's doing those. oh god yeah that follow shot yeah the three individual uh like the fake single take shots they do you know they have a couple of the hidden edits there but overall like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's really good. It comes together. You don't notice them because you're watching three screens at once. And it was actually, it's a well-performed video. It's like yeah. well-acted, and it, it's very genuine. Yeah, it's it's really good. And I don't, because of the production on those songs being so, you know, um, four-to-the-floor kind of bumpin' driven, um, I don't think their harmonies had as much of a place to shine, had as much air, you know, to kind of push through. And this song... Like, the harmonies are incredible in this whole song. Beyond. It's hard to believe there's only three of them throughout much of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good one. I think it's a... It's like a surprise candidate for, like, best overall now song that I didn't know coming into this, you know? 
Oh, that's really that's really cool. I like that. That's because uh, this is has always been my since I you know pretty much been my favorite performance of any song by Beyonce. Like this performance in particular really gets me. Uh, worth noting that Kelly Rowland does get a decent amount of time to shine on this song as well. Uh, again, I'm going to say it one more time. Kelly Rowland is my favorite. I, sh- I just I don't know what it is. I just latched on to her, and um, yeah, she she really. Such a strong voice, really talented. Yeah, and you know, Michelle shines here. And I'm never critical of Michelle like I could do better because, trust me, if I stood on a stage and tried to dance with the other two women I just described and couldn't hold my own, it would show. But Michelle never seemed like the weak link. She just always seemed like the newest added. Mm, And that was a hard feeling to shake. Yeah. Michelle, I often joke that Michelle's parts almost seem marginal because... They're just trying to fit her in because now there's only three. You know, Latonya and Latavia didn't have solos. Farah didn't get a solo in Independent Women. Yeah. Um, they made sure Michelle got that. It's it it is a testament to how fair a band member Beyonce does at least externally seem like she was. Yeah. Um, but Michelle shines here really well. She has that that unique tone that really unique quality in, in her voice sits so well in the range she performs this song in I, I think we could honestly just have a podcast of us talking about how much we love this uh, performance so i'm just going to suffice mm-hmm. to say i think it it I, it's moved me to tears period awesome um let's jump into another uh, a song i think that's kind of on a, a similar spectrum uh maybe on the opposite side of it it's Genuine's Differences. Another Genuine song that's not Pony, but uh, this is a case where I, I think that's, <laughs> that's kind of okay. Um, I, I get what this song is doing. Um we're having an R&B song that's not about God or fucking, which I don't think we've really had on and now between some of these disposable R&B acts yeah, and Casey fair. and JoJo. Uh, and R. Kelly kind of dabbles in both a little bit. So that was nice. Um, the lyrics are very simple, but they are meant to be. They're talking about um, a complicated thing in very basic terms. Um, I like that. Uh, but it's just, you know, it's a song that is neither for, you know, the R&B in general is probably the one I know the least about, uh, the genre, that is. And this style of it is just like, it's not for me at all, um, but, like, I understand it's good, you know? I understand why it exists, and I am, am glad I listened to it, but uh, I doubt I'll be revisiting it, and uh, that doesn't say anything about the song. It says more about me. You know, and it's, for me, in so many ways, I, I you know, I think I've made it a little clear that, like, I, I had maybe a little bit broader musical base than the average uh, white kid from our neighborhood. Uh, I it's For me, that's not the problem with this song. For me, the problem with this song is, I and I understand it's a stylistic choice, but uh, the way that the way the verses are rushed just drives me insane. The way he tries to pack so many lyrics into a tennis space. It's like, yeah, it drives me a little crazy. And I yeah, it happens a lot too. It really does, and I just can't do it. Um, but I actually super love Genuine, and I think he has a great sense of humor about himself. I think um, he performed super well on Parks and Rec. And if you know the oh, right, yeah, you know the right websites to look at. He has a monster dog. Genuine donger. It is in fact a pony. Yes. 
Um, so then, next song? It's not a bad song, but it doesn't resonate for me either. We're marking a uh, momentous occasion with this one. It is the final Backstreet Boys song that will appear on a now. It's the Backstreet Boys with, very uh, suitably, Drowning. You know, I've appeared three times now, and every time I've managed to get digs in at the Backstreet Boys. I don't have a dig. I don't like this song. I think the song is bad. It's not a dig. I am just saying I kind of schlocky. It's a snoozer. It and it's a little, it's a little too hyper dramatic, like the shape of my heart. It's it's just not for me. And, um, you know, sounds like a couple It's like it sounds like they took a couple of different Backstreet Boys songs that were unfinished and smashed them together. And then like the intro sounds exactly like O-Town's nothing at all. And uh, yeah, it just it seems like a hodgepodge of like, well, we're out of songs for this band. Let's cobble the beast, the, the, the seasides, the stuff that didn't even make an album together. And for me, I think the deeper problem I have with what we're talking about is it's it's less that the song itself is so cobbled together, but I, I don't know. I'm even having trouble f- putting my finger on it. It's almost like this song is trying to raise the drama bar. Like, the, um, I think you guys have already done Show Me the Meaning of Being Lonely. I think we might have done Show Me the Meaning of Being Lonely. I think so. Um, yeah, if that's just, a, I mean, I understand the context of the song makes it really beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 fine. But, I'm going to do that thing I do where you have to edit it out anyway. One of the things that I think is a little bit different between you and I as people is the way we look at the world. One of the ways we look at the world that is very different is, um, for the most part, I kind of live in auteur theory. Okay. You have to explain every – the context makes all the difference all the time. Like, I, I can't deconstruct. I just can't do it because I can't look at things in a vacuum like that. And I know that's something you're capable of. I cannot look at the deeper meaning of the Backstreet Boys show me the meaning of being lonely because it is so morbidly dramatic. Okay, so yeah, it's it's into melodrama. It's it, well that yeah, that's it's like they're singing a, a telenovela. Yeah, I was gonna say it's Weberian. It's like Andrew Lloyd Weberian. Yeah. And it's it's just God, I you know, like I, I have to be real. Um, I like everybody. You should rock your body. Sure. And I think that's a cool song, and you're going to be surprised by some stuff I say later on. But I just don't give a crap about their – like, I don't like Shape of My Heart. Mm, no, I think it's it, it sounds – different but now i'm realizing that i'm singing it in my head and it's just flowing into larger than life so i guess it's not that forget uh, it's not that memorable wait but they don't even sound alike no but that's even the point then like backstreet boys songs had such a sound every backstreet boys song was in the same family of songs yeah i and that's what we've talked about you know the, the bands each had their own identity and sync certainly wanted to brand themselves anew with celebrity, and I think Gone is a testament to that. And we discussed that. We discussed how Gone was a humongous artistic step for the group and how it represented a lot of development um, 
on on Justin's part, certainly, if nothing else, um, <clears throat> growing into his growing into a bigger artist. And I think in so many ways, the Backstreet Boys found it's like the Backstreet Boys said we have this really cool, almost acoustic, like ninety five five PLJ mom rock sound meets dance. And they said, well, we've done that for three albums. We're getting concerned that we're running out of those songs. I know. Let's split them into two songs. And let's do basically mom rock. And let's also do dance music. And you've got two decidedly different Backstreet Boys. You know what they are? They're like the character actor who got typecast. And then instead of trying to like do something that would break the typecasting or like they were just incapable of it. So they played that role for their entire career and just said, eh, you know, fuck it. It's a job. It's like, uh, backstreet boys were always just going to be the, the psychic lady from poltergeist. Just like, that's your career forever. Now <laughs> I struggle because I feel really bad that I am so critical of them because they are clearly more talented than I am. Period. End of the day. I have never done a backflip through a flaming hoop while dangled in a harness on a stage. I've only done it in my bedroom for sexual purposes. <laughs> so I cannot, and you know, the snicker is very, oh, good luck. So, I know it's true. It's pretty much true. Speaking of like not being able to muster up any real feelings. Here's you two with stuck in a moment. You can't get out of Here's some Mewtwo. Okay. Uh, I like one Mewtwo song. And it's one. Yeah. Yep. And Mary J. Blige appears, right? But we already did that. Yeah. Um, we, we've covered, I, uh, I think, like, we've had U2 songs before, and every time we're just like, uh, uh, I mean, I'd rather have this U2 than, like, you Vertigo U2. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the video that um, that I found for this, I wonder if they had like a British, uh, England, uh, you know, European it video, from it, it. and we got a different one because my memory of it is like a field goal kicker who just like is Groundhog's Daying, missing yeah. like the big kick in the Super Bowl. Yeah, does that sound? F- and it's well, that's it's not the Super Bowl. I think it's like a high school. Well, he, but the video that I found was a completely different one. It was like mostly performance based, and they were laying on the ground. It, it was like they were almost trying to do like a Radiohead video. And it didn't work at all. That sounds yeah, awful. Sounds... I don't think ever put up with the American one. Um, yeah. Um, this one had like 100% more Bono. Bono has like the craziest vocal range. And he and The Edge and The Smash mm. and the other one. I don't know. They had an entire know. WWF stable really... <laughs> in the band. They, yeah. Axe, Edge, <laughs> Edge, Axe, and Crash, Demolition, and Bono. Their manager. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, he would, yeah, he's got that voice, man. And they write those songs. And, like, yeah, no, they're you two. But I I think their inclusion on this now exclusively goes in the category that we have to dub for the parents. Yeah. Oh, totally. These guys are the mom jeans of this album. And the next band is the dad jeans. And it's not even a good... It's like, can I be real with you? It's actually like the shit single off of each one of these albums. Because, like, this is the this is How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, which is the same one with Beautiful Day, isn't it? 
Uh, yeah, I think we had. I, I'm I'm not 100 percent sure. Beautiful day is on there. Um, I don't even remember if we did beautiful day on this. Now that's how much I don't remember you too. But we did the sweetest thing. Whoa. Uh, but that's from their that's from their greatest hits package. Oh, you know a lot about you too. Are you are you hustling me? Are you a U2 fan? I swear to God, I just know a lot about a lot. Yeah, okay. I mean like I'm done. I'm done with you too. If this is I don't think it's gonna be the last song. I made up I made up those names. They're not Smash and the other one. No. I think like I think their names are like Chad and Dave. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's not their names at all. Only one of them has a wrestler name. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Bono. I should have said Chad. I blew that joke. Okay. Oh, I thought it was still pretty good. Um, geez. Uh... Aerosmith. This song just sucks. It's it's the inferior single from this song. From this album, Jaded was a pretty good song, even though it was like you know pop it was a really good song uh you know i, I one time saw a video uh, and i brought this up i've done this performance for you a million times and it's because i love you there is a video and you just gotta get it get on the fucking internet man you gotta find this for your listeners uh and if you can't i'll help but um there is a video of steven tyler with his hands next to his face kind of moving them like spiders sort of oh uh-huh. uh-huh. yeah and, and he's like yeah, man, because I was, like, sitting in the studio with Joe, and I was just like, we got to start writing these songs, man. We got a record. And all of a sudden, something came to me, and I was like, and then we had a song. And, like, I swear to God, it's that incoherent. Um, uh, I, can, I just can hear it. I can hear it in his stupid voice, in his <laughs> giant... Gary Busey horse hats. mouths. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, he's just so know, many scarves. And he's just like, he's, he's, he's like he's a rat king white, of scarves. He's old white Lenny Kravitz. Yeah. Uh, I just don't like looking at it. This is like, this is like they went, hey, remember Sweet Emotion? People <laughs> like that for some reason. But let's, uh, let's, let's add do, a Max or, Martin dance beat. Just blur, blur. It's like, it's, it's real intense. Yeah. And, uh, it's just taking the worst, like that that terrible inflection that they add to the cover of Come Together. It's just taking all of that stuff <laughs> that I don't like about Aerosmith. Like, it's crazy that Dream On is them. It just, it sounds, other than that Steven Tyler scream at the end, it doesn't sound like Aerosmith. And I just wish they did more songs like that. Well, let me, let me step in, because I actually do want to jump in. I don't love Aerosmith, but I do love understanding poptomology. I like understanding where stuff came from. And one of the things that I got to jump in on is, you know, Aerosmith had that that story, you know, they're 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 just another a great example of how you can overcome addiction and, and and drugs and you can become a person again. And yeah, I think Aerosmith did some of their better work after they recovered. Um, I think the song Angel is cloying and obnoxious and really predictable and boring. But I think there's a reason that when it came out, it was a massive hit. Crazy is actually pretty good. You know, say they're leaving on a seven thirty train and that you're heading out to Pally. The one where he objectifies his daughter sexually. That's two um, videos, but yes, uh, that's also uh, crazy. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Um, I no, I agree. I think their best, um, some of their best work was 
in that like uh, love in an elevator. Janie's got a gun to yeah. like that. Even dipping into some of the stuff off the album with Pink, even though I don't think Pink is especially good. But now that they're going to like this folk sound that they or like this. Well, uh, I, I want to point out that their follow up to this album was called Honkin' on Bobo. Honkin' on and, Bobo. And it's a tribute to some dude named Bobo that they had to honk on. So <laughs> I feel like I'm Busy Phillips' character on Cougar Town trying to talk about Aerosmith. Can we please move the fuck on? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's, we're not getting into much better, even though I like this artist. You find you have some good time. Wake up and shake and you can make a contribution. Oh my god, I just said he's Lenny Kravitz. Oh, man. Oh, it's no, it's the Pokemon Kravitz. evolution. He's, we, you, you touched some hard candy to him or whatever it's called, and uh, Steven Tyler turned into <laughs> Lenny Kravitz. I touched some hard candy <laughs> to a Pokemon. That's what it's called. The thing, I don't fucking know. Who cares? It's rare candy, oh, yeah. and it levels them up. But you just tried to level Steven Tyler down into Lenny Kravitz. No, no. Like, no, I was referring to the... Uh, I was referring to the my headcanon remake of the movie Hard Candy starring Steven Tyler and Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> Steven Tyler in the Ellen Page role and uh, Lenny Kravitz in the Patrick Wilson role. Do you think Ellen Page will ever be able to like not play a teenager? Juno? She wasn't, you know, in Super, but she was still, like, a 19-year-old. You know, I have one mental image of Ellen Page not being Ellen Page. And my one mental image of Ellen Page not being Ellen Page is her on Saturday Night Live in what is only describable as the the worst episode of Saturday Night Live I've maybe ever seen. Um, There's this one scene where she's with her mom, played by Keenan, and... She's constantly screaming that Ma, she needs her booty shards. And then there's another scene where she's Peter Pan and she's on strings and they keep throwing her too hard so she can't seem to catch her breath or stop laughing. And she just keeps laughing maniacally, shouting her lines as she's flung off the stage. That sounds kind of funny. Yeah, it's funny in that disaster show way that um, I love watching videos of Russian traffic accidents. <laughs> yeah. And I love watching sure. trampolines break when seven kids all jump at once. Yep. Yep. A guy breaking his arm skateboarding. I don't think we've said a single word about this song or Lenny Kravitz other than that if you attach hard candy to, to Steven Tyler's face, he turns into Lenny Kravitz in the darkest, weirdest, Tim Burtonist version of this. Oh, no, that's not Tim Burton. That's like Cronenberg again. <laughs> Salvador Dali somewhere is painting a clock. Um, like, this is him. There's always been this kind of tinge of Lenny Kravitz, obviously, trying to cosplay as Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. And, like, this is the biggest example of that. Like, this is just um, him trying to do that. Are You Gonna Go My Way is actually the biggest example. Yeah, okay. Sure. But the one thing that Lenny Kravitz has always had that just is, period, period. Is a swing and donger? Uh, it's, it's everything hot about him, man. He is... Lenny Kravitz is just literally too cool for you. Mm. You're lucky to know. There's a song by Liz Fair, and the lyrics are, you're lucky to know me, you're lucky to be alive, you're lucky to be drinking here for free, because I'm a sucker for those lucky pretty eyes. I feel like everyone in their entire life has said that to Lenny Kravitz to his face. I feel like people, like, a- even before he was like famous Lenny Kravitz, I feel like he would be at Burger King, and people would just be like, oh, please go to the front, all the Whoppers are for you. And just like <laughs> bow out of the way. 
he's too cool. His daughter's too cool. This song kind of bores me, but the, he's cool, and I really like most of his music. I mean, anyone who got to have sex with Lisa Bonet is going to make it into my Cool Forever book, so. Growing up, I wanted nothing more than to be anybody on a different world. And, you know, I, I know my parents love it, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> it is a different world than where you come from. I just love that show so much. And, uh, yeah, no, I just, I have nothing else to say. Uh, this song, I don't, I don't care for this song. <laughs> All right. I don't know if anything's going to change with Incubus's Wish You Were Here. So the thing about Incubus, uh, okay, the trouble with Incubus is they... That's the name of the D&D campaign, I believe. (laughs) I hope so. Um, I think, I think as a band, Incubus made some phenomenally strange music. And I think it's because Brendan Boyd's voice, he performs like if Eddie Vedder was a classically trained yodeler. And mm. I think because, you know, in this song, he's like, I wish yeah. you were here. Like, I mean, yeah. like he's like, yeah. it's weird. He, he's he it's is number one. It's an incredible talent. I mean, his voice is insane. Like as a as a guy who loves to sing, his songs are impressive as fuck. Um, but they have their love of weird chord changes and yeah. There, there's like a funny story about this song. Um, when the first when this album was first coming out, it was the follow up to "Make Yourself," which had "Pardon Me," "Stellar," "Stellar," yeah, and uh, "Drive," which was you know their defining hit. Uh, it's the song that still gets played on, uh, you know, light rock. So psh, run with it, guys. Um, Drive's not this album? No, Drive's Make Yourself, which is why in the video he draws oh. himself because he's making himself in the video. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of Pardon Me. Sorry. Pardon Me, Stellar, and Drive are all the same record. Oh, wow. Okay. That's right. See, I don't really know my Incubus. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah, just, it's all getting I, cut out, so I don't sound stupid. <laughs> now, uh, I've seen Incubus a few times live. They're actually really phenomenal. He's, he's, he's that good. I mean, but part of the problem, and it's, you know, okay, so I know I talk about my love of, of Mariah Carey, Tori Amos, and Jenna Jackson so much, and how everything I listen to is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm clearly desperate for street cred that I, I don't, I'm not, I just don't deserve. Um, but God, I, I love the music, and I, it's such a part of who I am. But my favorite band of all time is Tool. And we just need to talk mm-hmm. about that for a minute. Uh, I think Tool is okay. the greatest band of all time. Um, I think the music Tool makes is some of the most complicated, powerful music I've ever heard. I can't think of anything less marketable in this world sure. than Tool's They managed music. it. They, they, they yeah. were getting played on MTV with that cool uh, Hellraiser Cenobite video they had. Because it was the 90s. And, you know, yeah. I know the princess. You know, it's just like, you know, it's all you got to do. Everybody had the damn shirt, but I bring it up because. Oh, God, yeah. That or an NWO shirt. <laughs> I liken tools. How on earth did you ever get famous? To Incubus's, how on earth did you ever get famous? What a phenomenal voice. What an incredible vocalist. What an unbelievably talented band who know their theory so phenomenally it's unbelievable. But you find me one more band who know their theory that well to get that much respect and have a DJ. I, God damn it! I was just gonna say they know their theory that well, but still cram record scratches into their song. Uh, you know, yeah. they had a DJ, and they have a DJ. Um, 
Yeah. Every now and but so right, the whole point of the story I was gonna tell. When this album came out, he was like, Yeah, so you know, make yourself was really complicated and you know, it was I mean, God, how can you even compare like Drive was one of the biggest songs. It was you couldn't escape it. And mm-hmm. uh it, it you know, the video was a big deal and Pardon Me and Stellar, it was a really great time to like the incubus, I guess. And um yeah. the point I'm getting to is he said that, you know, he really needed to like get himself together and he was like sitting on a beach and he decided he was going to like, you know, do like a song, like do this album about like oneness and like how we're all like, you know, together. And then the lyrics to this goddamn song where I dig my toes into the sand, you know, pardon me was still kind of like rough. Stellar was still kind of rough. There was some edge to drive, but this song was I like super. Stellar. I think Stellar is my favorite of theirs. Yeah, it's a beautiful piece of music. Yeah, I I can almost guarantee there was some record exec who signed Incubus and pulled Brandon Boyd aside and was like, "Kid, I'm gonna make you the next Jim Morrison." Like, I just I oh, guarantee yeah. that conversation happened. Oh, absolutely, and like you know, you know when we talked on the last side about um, Pink and LA told me you'd be a pop star. Every all you'd have to change is everything you are. Like, I feel like Incubus like had to be like, okay, guys, sellout record, quick sellout record, mm. quick sellout record, okay, quick sellout record. It's hard for Incubus to make accessible music. I think this is one of their more accessible pieces. I just don't think it's that interesting. Yeah, it doesn't do anything for me. There's really weird production throughout the song, too, where, like, um, like the acoustic guitar will just get turned up really loud so you can straight up hear, like, the, the pick on, like, strumming. It, it just pops up here and there throughout the course it's really gross production throughout and uh no i mean like i said i'm with you i can't do incubus too much and i know they have their fans and they can have incubus when they're touring on the summer jam soundstage with oar or whatever um it's just not for me uh, i think incubus are a step up from oar yeah i mean oar would be opening obviously yeah i would i, th- I would say that you could put incubus on a bill with like blink 182 or like matchbox 20 I wouldn't be surprised if that happened at some point, some festival. Or like a summer tour. Like, aren't like Matchbox 20 and Counting Crows on tour? I think that did happen. I think you're absolutely correct about that. I think my girlfriend had to buy tickets for her mother for that. I wish it was any of the other songs we mentioned or anything off of A Crow Left of the Murder. That record was crazy good. Megalomaniac. That was fucking sick, man. I'm a pretty big Incubus fan. I just don't care for this. That was that was kind of a kiss of death for them because I don't think any of their fans wanted a political album out of them. They wanted that, you know, smoke some weed with your toes in the sand music. Yeah, well, it didn't change the world. And you know what's really funny? Because that brings it all back to the fact that I'm a slave for you is a response to the uh, war in Iraq. <laughs> yep, you got it. Uh, who the hell is this next band? Edema giving uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the lead singer of Edema's stepbrother is Jonathan Frakes from um Corn. What is it, Jonathan Davis? Jonathan, Jonathan Davis? Isn't Jonathan Frakes from Star Trek the Next Generation? <laughs> yes, he is in fact uh Riker, <laughs> but it's fine. It's fine. No big deal. It's not like I love Star Trek a lot, and that's why I want Jonathan Frakes because I couldn't think of his name. John Davis, right? John Davies? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, Kilt guy. Kilt guy. 
who makes that like noise. That's all I got. Um, um, uh, well, I'll just say that I'm not excited about this kind of navel gazy, angry oh. white boy who hates his dad rock that's about to come out and exist for Did like they have one more appearance? two or three years. Uh, think- no, but I'm sure we're going to get bands like Three Days Grace and uh, Puddle of Mud. Uh, yeah, because we're just going to go on this streak of these kind of bands and they're just all generic and forgettable and have super misogynistic videos no thanks. Pass on all of them. Man, pain is so hard because it's the pain nobody but you understands. Yeah, it's Not you, super the, the self-centered navel gazy. <laughs> it's guys who unironically say things like, "Look, I'm not saying that employers should be able to ask what gender you are, but I think it matters." Oh, I guarantee there's at least two Trump voters in Edema. Woof. Now watch them actually be like, uh, for the record, we worked for uh, the Sanders campaign. Like, watch, like, they're actually really chill dudes. <laughs> yeah, it could be, but, uh, uh I don't know. Yeah. At um, least we did at Marcy's Playground, him. <laughs> this isn't the first band to do this, so it's just falling on them because it's the first one to show up on a now. Like, we, we omissioned the Limp Biscuits and the Corns already, and they, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but they do this stuff better, with as many quotes around better as I can put. At least they did it first, and they did it less homogenized with pop music. That's really the worst thing that happens. Things get homogenized in with pop music. It's, I, I don't love movies the way you love movies. I've never loved movies the way you've loved movies, but I... I love movies the way I think maybe you love theater. Like, what a nice thing to visit, but not where I live. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I kind of know some stuff about movies, but, like, I can say for sure, the one thing I really can't stand is I kind of feel like I can't go to to the movies to see a genre film anymore. Why is that? Because I feel like when I go to the movies, I see a seven-genre film every time. Yeah, either that or you get a movie that's, like, so clearly... um... You know, you know what? Instead of movies, instead of theater, I would say it's like comic books with me. Like how you okay. know a lot about comic books and I'm willing to go there. Um, the Marvel movies, I feel like there's this feeling to a lot of them where they're just uh, focus grouped to hell. <laughs> yeah, I think Ant-Man is the worst example of that by far. I feel like that's a lot of these bands kind of like they're the focus grouped Limp Bizkit or Corn. Yeah. And you know what? I will make a comment more I will make a further comment on that statement. Please let me bring that back up when you bring up the omissions. Sure. Oh, oh, yeah. I know where you're going with that. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, well, let's... You want to just get rid of Edema and go straight into the omissions? I'm giving into that idea. Well, that was now Volume 9. These are the omissions, and we're we're doing something a little different on this episode, so we've only got two. Uh, but I think they're two pretty valuable ones. The first one is Everywhere by Michelle Branch. And it, in fact, was Everywhere to me. Um legitimately i think michelle branch kicked off something look i'm not saying she was the first singer songwriter and if anybody wants to throw jill so buell in my gay face i also have kissed a girl and i know what's going down okay i it's fine and you know tracy tracy chapman and 
you know, fine, Joni fucking Mitchell. But, like, I think Michelle Branch introduced a whole new generation of women to singer-songwriting. And to being a young brunette with a guitar and a spunky idea and a cute voice, six chords and a capo. And like, <laughs> oh, man, I let's feel write like, that song. I, <laughs> right. I kind of feel like that's Michelle Branch's doing. And I think we owe her a little bit more thanks than we give her. Um, Everywhere was her first big single. She had had um, Broken Bracelet, uh, which was her al- her independent album. Uh, much of which got reworked into the spirit room, which spirit everywhere room. was on. Uh, it was yeah, like goodbye to you was redone on there. There's a handful of songs. But goodbye to again. you was redone again. Goodbye oh, to wow. you has its original uh, broken bracelet form. It has its original the spirit room form, and much like we discussed with Christina Aguilera, where songs were re-recorded several times after the pressing of the album, it also has a um, single form, and each one was somehow a little bit less emotionally connective than the previous one mm. um if only she knew another song from the first album that uh, the broken bracelet uh, independent release that was massively reworked to be a little bit more country and a chorus was added there had been no chorus it was a really unusually structured song and they she was an artist who very much let the label kind of set the tone um, and she seemed to really regret that. Uh, her follow-up album was a little bit more true to herself. Yeah. It had um, Dave Navarro guest starred on Are You Happy Now? He played the guitar in that riff. And she went into country for a while. Yeah. Uh, Cheryl Crow does a song with her on that album as well. And then, she, yeah, she was the Wreckers. She was half yep. of the Wreckers. Yep, um, yep. And then she took a little time off. She just released a single a couple days ago. Yeah, uh, her and Nelly Furtado me. both dropping albums uh, Yo, right about now, 15 years the later. Ride, the ride is, is amazing. Got to get out there and listen, guys. Uh, yeah, I get it. The couple of slow songs are kind of like, if you liked Loose and you were like, oh, but that Tabuske it just sort of slows me down. Yeah, she does a couple of those every record. She really digs them. Just let her have them. But the rest of the tracks are pretty hot. Uh but no, this Michelle Branch song, I think it created an entire genre of music. I think it welcomed an entire genre of music, uh, women back into it. Because, you know, we I, I just mentioned how I felt like the Backstreet Boys were a little bit more acoustic rock at some points. Um, but I can't think of too many women. Women weren't allowed to not have a dance beat behind them. Mm. And Michelle Branch said it's okay to not have a dance beat. But even then, this song still has that... <laughs> Yeah, it's in the beginning. Almost Alanis Morissette esque drums. Interesting, you should say that because if I'm not mistaken, Alanis Morissette and Michelle Branch were both signed to Maverick Records and Madonna's Records. Ah, there you go. There's the connection. Um, This is obviously a song uh, in the one way or another or every step you take vibe, right? This is definitely about obsession to an unhealthy degree. I don't even know if it's about obsession so much as it's what happens when you ask the 16 year old to write her own lyrics. Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, sure. It could it could feel the same, I guess, when you're that age. And I'm by no means picking on anybody, right? Because and I, I, it's an amazing piece of music, and there's a reason it was a success. Uh, a couple of funny things about Michelle Branch. Michelle Branch has a really interesting uh, diction. Oh my god, I wrote down her vowels as well. The way she ends. Turn inside out so I can see. Yeah. Yep. The party that shifted over me. me. Yeah. Yeah. Every yeah, time we nailed yeah. it. We, you've heard it. You'll now it's uh, it's yeah. the FedEx arrow of Michelle Branch. You'll never unhear it. The other thing I kind of need to point out about Michelle Branch, 
is if there is anything that was unfair to Michelle Branch, it's that she was so young. Any perceived lack of quality in Michelle Branch's music, for me, could basically be attributed to the fact that she was a juvenile. Um, so her, her lyric content was a little bit more juvenile, and that's kind of okay. The worst part about Hotel Paper, her second album, is that it's like it, it knew that she was 21 and had a lot of feelings about having been out on the road for a year. You know what I mean? And like anything that you don't like about this song, just remember you're listening to like a 16-year-old be earnest. Yeah. And that's worth its weight in gold. I teach 16-year-olds. Getting them to be earnest is really hard. And uh, Michelle Branch bared her kind of lyrical soul in a lot of places. I, I don't know. I actually was – I remember being really impressed with her as a teenager. And when I revisited her as an adult, I remember thinking, you know, there's stuff that's a little weak. But it's weak in that way the lyrics are, I'm not going to stand around waiting for my lips to be red. The bridge is really, like, lyrically – terrible and you know let me touch your hand because then, then i, I just, understand yeah. that beauty lives within it's now that we begin you always light my way i hope there never comes a day yeah no matter where i go i always feel you so yeah it's terrible it's aggressively bad yes but there's a charm to that because like you said she is 16 and it's a very honest song we kind of gave this um we kind of pushed the goalposts back for genuine in this way where it's like you're talking about a complicated thing very simply and that can be fine and that can be well done i think that's kind of happening here everywhere except that bridge which is unforgivable oh a hundred percent i think the thing that it's that's important to remember is that they wanted her to be sincere this was a really big era for um for young women to be promoted in this way, there was Vanessa Carlton. I just feel like Michelle Branch needs a little bit more respect for what she created. She created a marketed... I don't know that there could be Colby Calais if Michelle Branch hadn't done what she did for two records. I don't know that there could be a lot of these women who did the bold thing and wrote songs about how they feel and did it in their own style. The worst thing you could say about Michelle Branch was she was derivative of the 90s music that inspired her. Yeah. her adolescence but she still definitely you know got with a the matrix or got you know a max martin you know she got with a somebody like that and they helped her refine and define and she, i don't know i i just feel like michelle branch doesn't get a lot of credit and i didn't like the new song but I, that doesn't mean i don't like her and that doesn't mean i don't think that one of these days uh that's an amazing song desperately desperately is one of those i think I think every songwriter has a couple of songs that they heard at some point. And they forever extrapolate pieces out of that song, and that's sort of what makes up their style. Uh, you know, we all have original ideas, and that's really cool, but a lot of us really rely on things that we've heard and we understand to be the most emotionally connective and pleasing for us. Even if it wasn't a big hit, I will always emotionally be attached to Michelle Branch's Desperately. I think Michelle Branch was just really cool. Uh, it It's... Yeah, it's one of those things I kind of, oh, Michelle Branch, yeah! If she was at a balloon festival with Hall & Oates, I'd be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And um, I don't, I usually let my guests, like, talk about their personal connections to the songs, but I want to kind of bridge the gap between these two artists and the admissions um, with my own story in, or my own, I guess, experience with them in high school. You know, at, at about this age, at 14, 15, I'm starting to get more into guitar and learning how to play learning how to play more than just like some power chords so I can play Blink-182 and Green Day songs. 
you know, right about this time, these two female artists come around. One of which, as I talked about with the Pam episode, how, like, Blink-182, like, their style kind of became boy bandified, and they started putting artists together to capitalize off of what they were doing. I feel like Avril Lavigne was, like, targeted um, and, like, created in a logical pop culture punk through the lens of, like, an old person, like, logic robot machine. And I should have, or at least two, like, this to this manager, to this PR person, I should have liked the Avril Lavigne's because I was listening to a lot of Blink and some 41, but I latched onto Michelle Branch, who was out of that genre, um, who was not as cool to the people with Liberty Spikes I was hanging out with. Um, but she was an honest, real artist who wrote her songs and played her songs, and I believed everything from her. Whereas, like, with the next song, Avril Lavigne's Skater Boy... Nothing feels natural. Nothing feels legitimate. Nothing feels sincere. That's not to say this is a bad song. This is a good, bad song. I want it to be clever and be witty and be funny, but I think I just have to tear it down into the idea of the machine that built Avril Lavigne for a minute. Avril Lavigne was a young girl from Canada. Her name means April up there. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> she... <laughs> And she uh, just wanted to be a singer and actress and model and dancer. Or I don't know. I just know that she wanted to sing. And she recorded uh, several different demos. And um, she, it was, one was gospel, one was country, one was like a pop girl group kind of demo, if I'm not mistaken. But I could be mistaken on that one. There was one. The other thing is, I'm also talking about a period of time where you got your music off of Kazaa and you had to trust that it was correct by finding it and cross referencing it on a website and making sure that that website wasn't like also under the impression that that song was that thing. Of course. You know what I mean? It was all secondhand oh, information. Yeah. It wasn't quite as wikied. Um, but Avril. I was a LimeWire guy myself. Massively cool. I was Morpheus, Kazaa, and Audio Galaxy. So here's my feelings on Skater Boy. What we need to talk about in the first place is that. Avril Lavigne was a really computer-generated um, Some algorithm got together and said, skinny ties, small vests, dress shirts, purple streak, checkered plaid pants, off-centered belt, eyeliner. We've done it. The same people that created Avril Lavigne reinvented Liz Fair's career. Oh, man. I hope. Why can't I? I really hope Why Can't I shows up on this, and I hope you're on that episode. That would be unforgiving. But you're right, and uh, it's crazy how young Canadian Avril Lavigne, existing like this, did did reinvent Liz Fair's career, sort of. No, Skater Boy is one of those things that really does leave you at a loss for words, honestly. It's such a piece of its time. Skater Boy might be the most 2000 thing about 2002. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even looking at Avril Lavigne in the last five, I mean, more than five years, but like, she's just not, she's not this anymore at all. I think one of the things about this and what we're talking about in terms of Avril Lavigne, 
I find it fascinating that the term skater boy was most culturally dubbed not by a skater boy, but by a woman singing about a skater boy. One of the things that's really interesting about Avril Lavigne is she falls into the aggressive woman camp. The problem is that Avril Lavigne, when she spoke, could not back it up. If you ever saw um, Beyonce in an interview, she was fucking Beyonce. Yeah. Um, there was no question when Justin Timberlake smiles and goes, <laughs> yeah, you know, everybody loves it. That's, that's, that's what that is. When given the opportunity to talk at the Grammys, Avril Lavigne referred to him as David Bowie. Yeah. And I understand that it sounds like I am harping or I am picking on her. But everybody's got a thing they're passionate about, right? Everybody's got a subject they care about. For a person to misrepresent a genre of music that they... It's unlikely that she could be a fan of David Bowie's and have gotten that wrong and nobody would have corrected her in the annals of Avril. <laughs> No one would have corrected her. An interesting thing about Avril is we are talking about how manufactured she is, how fake she seems. Um, now, I do think her second album, Under My Skin, is pretty terrific, actually. I will. Um, I would say that the album with uh, Girlfriend on it is actually a very good pop album. That's another good one. But yeah, then we've just named two really strong Avril Lavigne albums. And what do they um, have in common? She gets farther away from this persona. Exactly. Now, whatever you want to say about her recent music might need to be colored by the fact that she's going through a divorce from Chad Kroger of Nickelback, or went through a divorce from Chad, Chad Kroger of Nickelback. Um, and that's kind of a thing, you know, for a person that we made fun of and we're like, oh, she's so, she's so manufactured and she's so fake. Uh, she married a guy who people think more that, that about. Oh. Yeah, it's very true. Well, I don't think anyone ever thought that Chad Kroger had uh, a fakeness. They just think the band sucks. Um, yeah, but I mean, it used to be a real rocker. I guess. Now that makes silly pop music. I mean, that Spider-Man 1 song was pretty early in their run. Lyrically, the song is shockingly mean-spirited. Uh, yeah, you know, it. it is kind of like, I ruin other chicks so I can get the big dicks. Like, I mean, it's... It's not friendly. I mean, it it's, implies that the girl who just is a single mother is, like, worse than her for that fact. Okay, I... Oh, my God. I definitely am not reading this song the same way. The single mother? Yeah, there's a line like, uh... Now, she, said, she sits at home feeding the baby. She's all alone. Okay, but now I have to make it darker. It's this guy's. It's this guy's baby. The skater boy is skating out on his family. Now it's a really complicated song about responsibility. <laughs> that, that, I, mm, I don't know. I don't think that's what this, I. Skater Boy is a response to the war in Iraq. <laughs> skater Boy is a direct response to, Vic, to Dick Cheney's vice presidency. Carl Rove is the Skater Boy. He's putting AIDS in our chicken nuggets. Oh man, this song is actually just about freedom fries. I think it's about teaching women to objectify a generation of men. I think that's not entirely inaccurate. <laughs> in a good way. No, like, not like in a bad way. I guess it's coming off bad, but like, she's kind of like, I, I don't know. It's the fact that she's like, he's a skater boy and she's not good enough, but oh, he's going to be in the studio with me. Yeah, because we're like a skater couple and that's what skater couples do. Like, it's... Well, it's almost like a nice guy's, like, fantasy with a happy ending. And I like... It just, it does seem icky. 
come and I mean maybe it's padded come, like if if this song was sung by a man and everyone everything was flopped like everything was flip flopped it would be okay like, hold on so she was a skater girl she said see you <laughs> yeah. later world yeah oh dear oh no it's bad um but like yeah he's sitting there all alone with the baby she left yeah. alone like I mean yeah. like, you flip the genders and his song is troubling. Yeah, it's not a nice song and the video really backs that up. It has like a, a skater boy and like a you know, Jessica Simpson looking girl and she's the one who's like uh she doesn't even do anything in the song, but like it constantly gives her come up and it's just for looking the way she does. Again, I think that's something even the video was very carefully like marketed and coded towards a specific kind of person who was never gonna latch on to this music. Straight down to this spray painted red like pentagram that shows up throughout the video but like it's it's the most like drawed in a notebook looking pentagram ever it's like they initially drew like an anarchy a and some the the same bigwig who talked to brandon boyd was like mm, nope 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 better change that we're still we still love capitalism here at avril lavigne studios at at april studios um <laughs> it depends it depends and- which side of the border you're on right had a weird commentary. Oh, uh, I think this song um, is one of those songs that inherently gets new life if it were covered by a gay man. And I not like, you know, look at me and read the world through my eyes kind of way. But this is one of those songs that if you cover this or you cover Call Your Girlfriend by Exact Ryan, song I was thinking of. A, it takes on a really dark new yes, meaning. Yes, yeah. It is interesting how the language would be transformed if it were performed by a gay man, by sheer virtue of how gendered the lyrics are. Yeah, absolutely. The lyrics, he was a boy and she was a girl. Can I make it any more obvious? You can even switch it up. She was a punk and he did ballet. What more can I say? Now it's threatening. Now like she went after a gay dude. Well, he went after a gay dude who was clearly trying to be in the closet. She wanted him, but he'd never tell that secretly he wanted her as well. Yeah, like, you yeah. can make it really... And that's how gendered our language has, has, has become in pop music. There's... And, you know, it's, it's this incredible thing that... There was a study that said one in five um, millennials identify as LGBT+. And I don't understand what the plus means. Um, maybe it just means extra. Maybe they just feel really extra in bed. I Yeah, they leveled that. up and they, they took a specialty class. Yeah, it's just like everybody's got those weights that like they hang on your balls. They're just plus. Um, <laughs> it's just plus. And um, I think that's really spectacular, but I don't think we've seen that change in pop music yet. I don't know that we're, I mean, I, you know, I still think about I Kissed a Girl by Katy Perry and you know, I, the more I think about that song as an adult, even I still get angry. It's, and I'm not even a lesbian. Well, I'm a gay man. I'm supposed to be super cool with this. So like, I'm supposed to be like, yeah, yes, Quinn, get it, girl. No, okay. I, I it's, it's. I like Katy Perry for the most part. Um, think she has some really good stuff. Think that first album's good. But then always remember that that first album has that song "You're So Gay" on it, <laughs> and just oh, yeah, yeah, that is uh, a a mistake. No matter who put that song out. I actually like Katy Perry as a songwriter. I um, agree. I think some of her stuff is obnoxious. Like, This Is How We Do is one of the most popular songs agree. I've ever heard. Um, but I think if you can hear Teenage Dream and you don't immediately melt and think about the first time you ever made out giggling on your bed, then you're fucking broken. 
And um, anyway, so I bring this up because Skater Girl is an example of a song that we wouldn't really permit from a man, like you said, but it's the kind of thing that would be threatening from a sexual minority. Even if it was performed as a woman stealing a woman from a woman or a man stealing a man from a man, there's something that would be very, oh, God, the way gays behave. But we kind of enjoy it coming from Adam. She's spunky. It's pizzazz. She's getting the D in. And I don't know. It's just something that I thought about when I rewatched the video for the song then, preparing for the episode. And then with her uh, her image, her, her gimmick, um, it's it's got that kind of revenge of the nerd slob versus snob story too. I think Avril is very processed and very fake, and I think it was strategically done. I'm super cool with Avril getting away from whatever she's doing now. The next album's kind of transitionary, and then she's gonna do the one with um, girlfriend where she goes full on pop and. I'm much, much more okay with her um, from there on out. I think the, I mean, just the music gets better. Not that the gimmick is, the gimmick's dumb, but it's not what offends me. Bad music is what my problem is. Even like, even complicated is not a very good song. It's better than this, but. I think the best song on this record is I'm With You. Yeah, I could, I could absolutely get down with that. And And here's the thing. I like Skater Boy. You know, we've talked about karaoke being a thing uh, that's very connected to now and again. I'll karaoke the shit out of Skater Boy. It is a good, bad song. I just think this song is ridiculous. <laughs> it is. Uh, I'm glad it exists, but uh, it certainly is. And it marks uh, an interesting kind of uh, line in the sand. And, you know, we were talking about big transitionary moments in pop music before. So I think... It's time that we have to bring this up. That's the end of the songs, both the mission and on now canon. Now I think we need to have a moment of silence and eulogize Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and boy bands as a whole because this is the last solo NSYNC song. This is the last Backstreet Boys song. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here. Sorry, Prince. But that said, we had One Direction not too long ago, and I think in about seven or eight years we're going to see another boy band explosion, uh, and we'll see how temporary that is, or if it can extend as can long I, as uh, Backstreet and Sync did, which I think is kind of the, uh, the the ceiling for these bands. I think the lifespan of this trend is short, uh, but I think it's going to happen sooner than we think. It's about every 20 years for, like, big resurgences of things like that, because that's when the people who used to breathe in the media used to be old enough to create the media. But since the age of people being able to make decisions has dramatically reduced thanks to people somehow getting YouTube famous, um, I think it is getting shorter. I think we are seeing it happen a little more closely together because people are already like, One Direction, they're old. Who remembers them? I don't care. Who's Zane? Who's Zane? Who's Zane? New band, new band. So with that said, uh, we're going to do something a little special here. We're going to list what we each think is the top five best boy band songs from this era. I asked you, Nico, to come up with the list. How how did that go? It was kind of hard. I'll admit it's a little... It's a little more one-sided than I, I would have thought it was, but that's okay. I'm cool with it. It turns out I am as biased as I have sounded this whole time. 
<laughs> Do you have any honorable or perhaps dishonorable mentions before we jump into the top five? I think my five speaks for that. My five okay. is kind of an honorable mention. So. Um, I'll just say that my honorable mention is Insync's Bye Bye Bye. Um, it's certainly, for me, a, a song on the bubble of the top five. Like, it's probably number six. But I decided to go with my favorites as opposed to what I think is the the best. And um, I know that there's a whole argument to be made about what objective versus subjective is, and we're not going to get into that. But I think Bye 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 might be the quintessential boy band song, but it doesn't make my top five personal favorite boy band songs. So it really should replace number five, but I want to put five where it is, as you'll see. Um, so I just wanted to give it a shout out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in, actually. I do have an honorable mention. Okay. Uh, if I can, just NSYNC's Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Okay. It's just cute. It's, you know, it's it's one of their cuter songs. It's it's kind of Christmas to me because we grew up with it. It's it's just a good song. I, I dig it a lot. And it's Christmas, and I love Christmas music way too much. I'll briefly dishonorable mention NSYNC's God Must Have Spent a Little More Time on You because I think that is the... Um, the of all of the terrible, cheesy, maudlin, sappy, gross ballads that exist among all of these bands, that one manages to perhaps devolve into self-parody the most. Uh, for me, that's probably LFO's Summer Girls. So let's jump into my number five with LFO's Summer Girls. I kind of think it's maybe too silly, I think. I, I Honest to God, all I ever hear is new kids on the block sucked a lot of dicks. Chinese food <laughs> makes me sick. The Eminem riff on it, yeah. Um, Wait, it's is not Chinese a good food song. makes me sick the real lyric? Uh, I don't know. Uh, but he did He did have a line in some oh, song. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Like, it it is actually... No, no. Chinese food makes me sick is the song's real lyrics. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, no, it is. That's terrible. It's terrible. This is a bad, good song. Um, or a good, bad song, I should say. Much like Skater Boy. Like, I think this made my number five. Um, again, I, I guess I'm kind of going objective here, but... Uh, it's a song that everyone remembers, and uh, maybe it's very room-esque where everyone rem- remembers it for the wrong reasons, but it's it's a, it's, it's a really bad song um, that I'll never forget, and I think <laughs> its audacity and how terrible it is is commendable, uh, and I appreciate that as someone who has, you know, a pop podcast that devolves into bad pop a lot. Oh, absolutely. Um, I guess my five is kind of shocking. Because it's the Backstreet Boys, everybody. I think there are some people who, were they on this, would have put that at number one. So I'm glad it got some recognition. Um, I think it's... Uh, it's When I made that joke about their songs all sounding vaguely the same, they all kind of sound like background music from uh, Big Bad Beetleborgs. And this is sort of the ultimate expression of that. It's Not even VR Troopers? No, no, like specifically because this video has the monsters in the mansion and <laughs> yes. that's the plot of Beetleborgs. Oh, um, okay. It's one of the elements of Beetleborgs. Look, you should watch it. It's a good show. Big bad Beetleborgs. You should. Fuck you. It's good. Um, <laughs> this song represents all the good things about Backstreet Boys music without having to listen to all that bad stuff. Agreed. Completely agreed. And I really like the video too. Yeah. Uh, my number four is In Sync's I Want You Back. This could have been a cover of the Jackson 5 song, which is uh, fantabulous, uh, but it's not. And despite managing to have the same title, holds up on its own. And I think NSYNC's early stuff is 
they're most honestly in sync. Um, like they're going to find their real voice when they do bye, bye, bye and pop and all of that stuff. But there's something about this feeling that this isn't quite a job to them yet, that they're more enjoying that first album batch of songs. Um, it's, you know, there's something about that song that I think is super singable. It's got a great hook. You know, I can't tell you what it is I like about it more than Bye Bye Bye. Again, I just think it's that, the feeling that it was first. And uh, to me, there's something about that. You never forget your first in a weird way. And I think the first boy band songs that Punk Ass Me really admitted to himself and no one else that he liked were the early sync stuff, so... My number four is tearing up my heart. So I get it. I, I just like it more. That's all. It, it's it's a great example of early NSYNC singles. Yep. All the same reasons. Everything you said. It's also got that really good uh, breakdown where they all harmonize. But we'll get to that when I bring it up later. Tearing um, up my yep. heart. And... Yep. I'm totally with you. Uh, number three is a song that I think no one remembers. Uh, it should be number five, but it's not. It's fives when the lights go out. Baby, when the lights go out. Nope, 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 nope. Five, what you waiting for? If you want a three, two, one, let's do it. Five bad boys with the power to rock you. Oh, I liked five. Yeah, uh, it's the things you It's a great yep, song. It's, Sorry. A, it's a fun song. It's got a great hook. And that's all I want in a pop song sometimes. Your body looks so soft. I want to get you under the sheets and I want to knock your socks off. Those are part of the rap. Oh, okay. Well, what's your number three? Um, Heated Up by 98 Degrees, not a single, but kind of a popular song anyway. It's sort of the song they're best known for that wasn't a single. Somehow bands always have one of those. A song they're well known for that was never properly a single, and no one's really sure how that happened. But, um, 98 Degrees, it, uh, had the lyrics, Baby, Let Me Love You, to the 98th degree. Oh, Or go nice. heat it up. And then this chick would come in and go, I'm down! And they go, go heat it up. And she'd go, I'm down! And, like... Uh, it's it's a really hot song, and the vocals actually really hold up. Like they still sound like what's on the radio now. When Nick Lachey sings the lyrics, "Late at night, I fantasize with you and I, and you're rocking my world." When he sang when he sang it in 2002, I believed him. So, uh, yeah, no, it's a great song. It's a really good example of how fun they could be. Uh, it's a good song. My number two is In Sync's "Tearing Up My Heart." Um, I think the performance from both JC and Justin is the best that InSync has ever done, and that includes Bye Bye Bye. And I would argue that... Uh, not... Interesting. My number one counters that. Interesting. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> no, I think they perform the shit out of that song. Both of them have super strong verses, and then everyone comes in for the chorus. I think the verses actually shine in that song, and that's super rare in pop. And that's why that song stands out to me so much, because, I mean, when you first hear that song, you don't know... Uh, you know, I'm putting us back into 1999. Like, we don't know the name Justin Timberlake. And so him coming out, like, now we expect that kind of performance. But we didn't expect that from whoever this kid with the curly hair and the wife beater that can barely fit him because he's so scrawny. We don't know who that is. And then he performs the hell out of it, and you're really surprised. Um, And it still surprises me that he has that. And even JC does it too, uh, that they have that that in them this early on in their career. Absolutely. My number two is We Fit Together by O-Town. Okay, I don't, I mean, there's only like two. I o- want to go all night, ain't no stop until the breaking of the dawn. Oh, yeah. I want to go inside. The best part is when they go, I want to go, knock, knock, our bodies to the beat. Oh, it's a great song. 
Um, it kind of sounds like it was written for a better band. There's times where it's very clearly an O-Town song, how many triple X streams I've had starring you. Uh, there's times it's very clearly an O-Town song. But it, it's got... It actually uses all the members in a really cool way. It's got Dan, whose voice drops down really low, dropping down really well, fulfilling his sexy potential. It's got Eric, the whiny one, getting to be whiny in a fun and playful way. Uh, it's got Ashley in all the right scenes in the video. It's it's just a it's a good piece of pop garbage, and it's the kind of pop garbage that I really appreciate. I mean, that's exactly what I would say about my number one, which I imagine you could guess what it is since it hasn't come up yet. I honestly can't. Oh, O-Town's All or Nothing. Fuck me. Dude, that will forever be my 25th birthday. <laughs> um, I don't know what it is that brought me back to the song so many years later, other than, I think, on your 25th birthday, finding it in the karaoke book and saying, this is our duet, and somehow remembering 90% of the lyrics... Um, I've come to relove this song all over again. Yeah, it's, it's, I can't believe that our numbers one and two are O-Town and NSYNC. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. No, um, no we're going to own this. Uh, all or Nothing is a great song. Um, I think it's the best ballad. Uh, it's not the best. It's, it's definitely my favorite ballad to come out from this time. The lyrics are not embarrassing, or at least not as embarrassing as they can get for this genre. Um, the key change feels earned. You know what else I think is really great? It's another great use of Eric. That I'm thinking about mm. it. The, yeah. yeah, 100%. I always forget about that little bridge. Yep. 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 Uh, also, anytime he says, um, I want the rest of you, or I got the best of you, now I want the rest of you, makes me think of Festivus for the rest of us. And I just, anytime something can make me think of Seinfeld, it's cool in my book. I get that. I get that. Oh, so I guess it's my number one. Um, this is my, this, I genuinely mean this. Uh, I have long, and you can ask any of my, any of my buddies that I sing with. Uh, I make everybody listen to a specific performance and I say, this is always what I want. To, this is my dream performance. That is NSYNC, but specifically J.C. Chazé in their cover of Sailing by Christopher Cross. There is something not of this world in JC's performance, it it's humbling as a singer to hear the, the effortless joy he sings it with. Like, I swear to God, it must have been his favorite song in the world. And he sings it like it's the only thing that'll make him happy ever again. And when he says, soon I will be free, you actually like want to see his boat sailing off into the distance. It's one of those examples of, of where music has to be part of a bigger design. You could fall in love listening to him sing it. It's really amazing. Let's go to recommendations. Nico, 2002, wrapping it up. What would you recommend from this era? People go back and check out. Now, again, I sound like a broken record, and you can punch me in the face if you want. But you guys should go back, and if I tell people to listen to one Tori Amos thing, I tell them to listen to Scarlet's Walk. Uh, Scarlet's Walk was a record she realized, she was having a daughter, and she realized how hard it is for a daughter in this world. And um, she looked at a map of America and she she looked at what she saw and she traced she's part Native American in that way that Christina Aguilera is you know one-eighth Ecuadorian so that's technically why she can a Spanish language record and that you know Travis is very connected to her Native American uh, you know ancestry and it's very beautiful so I mean no judgment of it um 
So just do understand that she has a song called Wampum Prayer, which is an ode to her Native American heritage. Um, And like it's she wanted to make a statement about how hard it was to be in this country. And um, there's a matching map and there's additional songs and you can place the songs on the map and understand you can take just certain paths and you can you know she's a concept artist it's always what she does but there's something really genuine about um the scarlet's walk Uh, one of the songs is sort of fairy tale um you know it's it's about having a perfect car ride with somebody despite the world falling apart around you and how you know you can just sort of forget everything else sucks because it's a sort of fairy tale i I don't want to sound too dramatic but if i had known it you know 16 that that it really is what a marriage is like you know i the happiest thing in my life is my marriage to my husband the world can be falling apart around me but if he's in the car next to me i'm pretty much okay it's not just a recommendation to check out what adult contemporary radio sounded like in 19 in 2002 it's it's a realization that these things happen because we don't understand the cyclical nature of fear and um how to confront the ugly in ourselves. So sorry that was the world's longest recommendation ever, uh, but it is one that I cannot state with enough importance. If you know we don't aggressively take a look at the political landscape, we are doomed to repeat it. Cough, cough. Now. Yeah, it sucks that I have to follow that up <laughs> with <laughs> dumb shit. Um, I think the early two thousands are a turning point for ho- the genre of horror as much as they are pop. Um, the 90s were kind of uh, searching for a new beginning and they found that in Scream but then immediately ran that genre into the ground so horror is searching for uh, anything that's not that anymore and uh, The Ring is going to set a trend um, this is the remake by Gore Verbinski of, uh, of Ringu, Ringu! And this, this is one of the few American remakes that is going to be significantly better than the Japanese version Um it's one of the first movies to really embrace color correction. It's a very blue movie, but whereas a lot of movies nowadays don't understand why it's color correcting, um, this has a purpose behind that. Um, so The Ring obviously is great. I feel like a lot of people know The Ring. I also want to recommend a horror movie called May by a director named Lucky McKee, who's um, done a lot of good stuff since then. May is a more psychological horror movie um, about a girl who has trouble adjusting to society and meeting people because of her upbringing uh, and the issues that causes Angela Bettis is the star. She's not anyone who's become super famous. She's it's imagine like Christina Ricci, if she looked a little older and was only in horror movies, um, but she's great in this. Uh, it's also got Jeremy Sisto and um, Anna Ferris before either of them are Jeremy Sisto or Anna Ferris. Didn't Jeremy Sisto become Jeremy Sisto and clueless in 1996? You know, I always forget that he's in that and just remember that Paul Rudd's in that. He's, You're probably right. He's Elton. I know this because I have been madly in love with Jeremy Sisto since I'm 10 years old. He's great in that. Uh, this is Anna Faris um, not being funny. Um, I don't think, like, the scary movie sequel that really broke her into the mainstream as a comic actress happened yet. And she's just there to have a really great performance. And it's a very creepy, unsettling, sad horror movie that's very different than everything that's going to be in that landscape. I feel like right now we're in this renaissance of like 
prestige indie horror almost with like the the it follows and the raws and things like that that are coming out and i like that oh my god i can't wait to see raw oh my god i've only heard good things about it um and yeah i finally saw the bitch and i was so disappointed oh i love the vivavitch i thought it did a good job keeping me afraid but i can't rewatch it uh but yeah anyway that's that's may um and that's the end of this now. Um, rest in peace, boy bands. Rest in peace, now volume nine. Uh, it was so great to be with you guys in the beginning, and it was great to watch you die. <laughs> uh, Nico, one more time, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me at facebook.com slash action duo. That's my super cool music that I do with uh, my buddy Adam, my partner. Uh, super great. You guys got to check it out. We make, as if you can be shocked, we make 90s throwback R&B pop kind of dancey it's kind of r&bz and i do a whole lot of like runs so it's worth it um and you guys should definitely check out our super cool comic uh kid riot at kidriotcomics.com uh we have an incredibly cool busy summer so if you guys want you could check us out at awesome con in june in dc you could check us out at uh flame con in brooklyn in august lgbt expo at the javits in september or nycc the biggest comic con of the year at new york city uh the javits center in october uh where we will be showcasing our uh super cool book kid riot which is at uh 25 issues 600 pages you definitely want to check it out your second year at nycc right yeah we're fancy you are that is a big fucking deal thank you and it is deserved. Nico, thank you so much, and we will see you soon. As always, thank you for having me, man. You guys are the best over here. I love being part of the Cage Club Network. Uh, not to, you know, push you guys after you said we're going to cut it, but every time I check out a new podcast by you guys, I, I, you know, you guys are just so much fun, and it's super nice to have other people interested in the ridiculousness I'm interested in. That is the show. Thank you to Nico, and thank you for sticking around for this long. You know where you can find us, cageclub.me, Twitter, at nowagainpodcast, right into the mailbag, nowandagaincast at gmail.com. If you were to tell a friend or if you were to write a review on iTunes, it would make you our bestest friend in the whole wide world. Get out there and start enjoying your summer, and we will catch you on the flip side. Let's eat the Milky Way.